Wasn't that great? Aren't we lucky to have such depth of musical talent that when we, our, our regulars are out, we have a replacement right in line? Whether he knew he was doing it or not, his wife sure got him on the hook. So thank you very much, Asa. <laughs> but it's good to be here today. You know, uh, Ephesians chapter 3 is one of those chapters where if you're a minister, you can't help but reflect on how you got to where you're at. And as I read through this book, uh, preparing for the sermon, and as we've gone through these these lecture these uh, these New Testament chapters together, there is an overriding secret that if you haven't picked up on, I would like to share with you. God loves you. God loves you. He loves your blemishes. He loves your beauty. God loves everything about you. Because you are God's creation. God is sovereign ruler of the universe. He knew the time and place you would be born. He knows the time and place when you will breathe your last. He'll know when you stand strong. He'll know when you mess up. God loves you. That's the secret to the message of the gospel that Paul proclaimed, that he was called into the ministry, and that is the secret that we should lean into as we worship our Lord and Father. God loves you. It's the secret. It's the, the source of unity of the church. And the book of Ephesians is an interesting book. It, it's kind of contentious in scholarly world. Some debate whether Paul even wrote the letter. You'll have to read all the articles and reasons why for yourself. We don't have time today to discuss it. But Ephesians doesn't sound like a lot of, of Paul's earlier letters. The diction's a little different, and he may have used a scribe. He may have wrote it himself. Sometimes we humans have a problem. We think we know better than we really do. When we see discrepancies, we try to answer it and write it off and theorize. We can theorize a lot. If you've ever read uh, church literature, you'll understand one thing quickly. People like to have theories that they can't actually prove. I'm not kidding. I love the doctrine of inerrancy. I believe in the infallibility of Scripture, but when we get down to the theological basis of what inerrancy is, it's based on the original monographs, and people are so wrapped up in what that means. Do you know how many of those we actually have? Zero. We have copies. Copies are good. But we don't have the original, so people get so wrapped up in what they can understand why the Scripture is so important to us. And for some, if you don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, you might as well not even be a Christian, because they don't think you are. Because if you don't believe in the Bible, then how could you ever believe in what the Bible talks about? But there's a secret to all that. Guess what it is? God loves you. And so if you uh, leave these churches and uh, leave this church and go off to college and you start running into professors or things like that that questions your faith and, and they, they read these other scholarly journals and, and religious talks and they say, well, Paul didn't write that. So now when we come to the section on submission, you don't really have to submit to, to the male authority because that's all this other thing and, and, and this. And they said, so if he didn't write that, then we can question the parts that we don't like question the parts that we don't like how do we do that how do we use this scripture to be the basis of our faith and question the parts of it that we don't like 
Well, we're humans. We want to find the loopholes in the gray areas so that we can live the way we want to live, that selfish old self. Well, this letter of Ephesians addresses that, addresses that from so, so many angles. Paul writes to this church, or actually churches around Ephesus. There's many. We know from the book of Acts that he spent a good bit of time in his missionary travels investing in the lives of this church, investing in the leaders, and he cared about them. And he wrote, even from his imprisonment to this, this body of believers, some even question that on if he spent so much time, why was it much more personal than it was? Because the church doesn't stay still. The church grows. And there was many in this congregation who weren't there when Paul preached. Because the gospel isn't rooted in one human being, man, like Paul. It is rooted in the divine figure of Christ. And it grows through those who come in relationship with him that are bound in unity with God the Father through Jesus Christ his Son and that's what the first part of this book was it was about the gospel it was about the good news it was the reason that we had gathered here Paul a Jew a Jew among Jews who would give his pedigree and his calling to be a apostle to the Gentiles to share this great news that God loves you he said we used to think we Jews were special God called us out from all the people of the earth he'll tell them to give us a covenant. But in Jesus Christ, that covenant was done away and that there is a new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ that offers forgiveness and grace through faith. No matter do you have to work your way to perfection because we know that by the law we are judged by the law and if we are guilty of one of them, we are guilty of them all. There's no one in his faith until Jesus Christ that could live perfect unto the law. He said, but there's good news, you Gentiles, us, all of those who are gathered here today, that Jesus Christ in his divine ability, God the Father in his divine wisdom, in all of creation, when he created this earth, each and every one of you, he had a plan to call out the Jews, to hold them to be witnesses of God's glory on earth, to give them the clues of the kingdom of God that was coming but when the time was ripe, he sent Jesus Christ. And he now calls each and every one of us. That promise that he gave to Abraham, to Abram, to leave his people and go to the land of promise. By faith, Abraham believed and he left. And even though he was weak, like all of us men are, and his faith was challenged and he made mistakes, God still blessed him. And through that promised heir came the children of Israel. They became a nation. They became a people. But that people wasn't the end of the story. Because God said, through you I will bless all. That includes us today. That includes the people that we have become. Why? Because God loves you. Even in the beginning, God loved you. Even when he saw in creation the evils that would take place through, the, through humanity's worst mistakes, the selfishness and the greed and the desire and all that, God still loved you. That while you were his enemy, 
Christ died for you. This is the gospel that Paul proclaimed to the Ephesians. This is the gospel that he still proclaims to us every time we open these letters and that we read them, that we proclaim them in sermons. But Paul was given a bit of the mystery of the gospel. Why does God love us? I don't know. I try to leave, live a life where I'm not bound to my old fleshly desires, but sin still creeps in. I still make mistakes. I can't eradicate them fully, even though I try harder and harder each day. Some weeks, some months, I do better than others, and some days it's almost like I never read this book at all. I still have bouts of anger. Imagine my house, five kiddos. You think you're ever going to get angry? Man, I struggle with that one. But Paul looks at his life. You know, I look back at my own calling. How does life go together? Paul zealously studied the faith. He found, I mean, he was a Jew among Jews. He was a, a leading uh, scholar in his day. People looked up to them. Even as a young man, they endowed him with authority and responsibility that was unusual for his, his age and his background. But he gave it all up because God interfered with his life. Because he, he came down to him in a vision. Bright light shone all around him. And Paul saw clearly when he was blinded for the first time what was there all along. And that in these Old Testament pages we find that God was preparing a people for a Messiah. God was preparing a people so that they would see who he truly was. That he was a God of all creation. And not just for those Jewish people who were given the blessed scriptures. And who were given the signs and the covenant. But for all. Which included them and us. For once we were strangers. We were ignorant. We were lost in our fleshly desires. We fell prey to sin. But no longer. When the fullness of time came and Christ came and gave up his life for us, enemies, those nails that were put in his hands and his feet, those were because of us. Those stripes on his back, those were because of us. The blood that flowed from his brow when they crammed that crown upon his hand, those were because of us, because of the sins that we have committed and will commit in the future. Each and every one of us is responsible for that. But God so loved the world that he gave us his only son so that we may see how to live a perfect life according to the scriptures. And the perfect life is rooted in something simple. God loves you. Over and over again, that is how the mystery of the gospel is revealed. God loves you. And so as Paul goes through this, in the middle of this book, he, he enters this prayer, chapter 13, verse 14. Chapter 3, verse 14, it says this. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with his power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Paul, rooted in the Jewish scriptures, knows what it means to name. He knows how in the story of creation, humanity was given the co-creative task of naming those creatures. As God said, it's not good for man to be alone. He started bringing these helpers and Adam would name them. Name it this, name them that. Can you imagine how long that took? But over and over again, man was involved in this naming process. Why is it important that humanity has the responsibility in naming all of God's creatures? Could not God just have left us a list on what to call everything? I think he could have. He gave us the scriptures. I think he could have given us that as well. But there is a co-creative as we are created in God's image. Let that sink in. We are created in God's image. That doesn't mean we look like him, but that we have a co-creative task in creation. We are given authority and power over creation just as he has given. He has the authority and power over everything that he creates in this world. All of us, believers and non-believers, he has the power over them all. But in naming the creation... We have authority over it. But our evil human desires, we corrupt our authority. And we do so over and over again. How we treat our planet, how we treat others, the devastating effects of wars, famines that are brought on by the destructive practice we humans inflict on this great planet we call home. We can strip its resources without a thought for the future. We can do all this, but in naming it, we have been given that task by God. But God names us. That's where we all come from. It is easy to love those who are like us, who have the same cultural values, the moral expectations. It is easy to love those kind of people. But that's not who God loves only. God loves the people just like us. He loves the people of our community. He loves the people who come to church Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, involved in group studies in the week. He loves those people. That's a good way to grow in your faith and likeness. The more you know, the more you know how to respond to a different task. But he also loves those people who slept in today. Did you know that? I love those people who couldn't wake up this morning because they had such a great time partying last night that their eyes are blurry and the room's still spinning. He loves those people. He loves the people who attack children. Why? I don't know. I can't comprehend that. But he loves them because they are his creation. He loves those who are attacked and who are victimized. God's love is fully encompassing, and that is what we find in this prayer. That God that Paul wants us to be strengthened so that we may comprehend the love of God. For those that we call enemies, that's what we were. 
if those that would harm others could teach us anything, is that that's how all-encompassing God's love for us is. We were just like those that we despise in this world, that don't live the way we live, that will harm and victimize others, that will strip the resources of our planets and all these kind of things just because they can. Those people that we may despise, God loves because he loves us. And that is why we can actually stand and come here together as brothers and sisters because through the grace and love of our Father, we are formed. He has given us our name because he has authority over us. He is the one that we owe everything to. We can do nothing without him. But to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that is one thing that can only be given by the Spirit. That is the only thing that can be given by God's calling in our life. It is that free gift. It is the gospel. And Paul prayed for those Ephesians regularly that they may understand, that they may comprehend the breadth, how big he is, the length, the height, the depth of the love of God. Because I can understand how God would love somebody who is earnestly trying to live the way the Bible calls us to. I can wrap my head around that because I'm one of those people. But how do you wrap your head around God loving those who would board airplanes with the intent to kill others? How do you wrap your head around that? It is only by the Spirit that we come close to understanding God's love for us. Because apart from grace, we were the same as those others. We were the enemy of God because we lived a life of selfish desires. And so after Paul prays for this, he prays that we find glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, through all families, through all descendants that this is a faith that is transmitted to the next generation. The church. How do we gather as a people? You know, we talk about churches. We can name all the churches in town. We got Methodists, we got Baptists, we got different versions of Baptists. We got several churches of Christ, but they like to fight sometimes, so we'll, we'll let that slide. <coughs> We've got Pentecostals, we've got Assemblies of God, we've got all these kind of things. The church, they all have a common theme. They, they claim Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and apart from Jesus Christ that none of them would exist. I would agree. We have different opinions on the theology and practices. I wear a suit and tie, some wear jeans and t-shirts, some wear collars and these, these nice uh, robes and things like that. But the church isn't the place we gather. The people are. Each and every one of us. We are brothers and sisters with those down the street that we don't agree with. We are brothers and sisters with some that we have never met with a language we don't speak. But we have a central theme, and it is Jesus Christ. That is the gospel that Paul talks about. That was binds us as a church. But Paul will go on in the next chapters, and he will point out that being a child of God doesn't mean being uniformly the same. 
Even with our own gathering, we have been tasked with different gifts. We have been given different streaks, some to teach, some to evangelize, some to care, some to be generous. But we all make up the same people because Christ is the head. And without Christ, nothing else takes place. It's interesting as you read through this letter. He'll go through the application on what the gospel means for your life. On how you should live. And it was always to symbolize the gospel in your relationships. Husband and wife. The relationship between the husband and wife should be like the God and church. The church is submissive to God. As the wife is submissive to the husband. Sometimes we don't like to hear that in our modern day, do we? But the husband, like God, is to provide and prepare and to take care of the church. We don't gather because it's a mistake. And so Paul says, in light of the gospel, husbands and wives, this is how you should live. Husbands, you should give up your life for your wife. It is not your desires that you should worry about, but it is those that you would love. In the Old Testament, if you were rooted in your faith there, as Paul was, you would see the stories of the prophets. You would see how in their lives they had to give up so much, and their hearts ached and broke, just like God. Husbands, what have you given up to tend to your wife? Wives, have you given them the opportunity to live that way? To care for you and love you as God loved the church? Now it's complicated because that's how he says. Your relationship should not be culturally determined position between husband and wife. Because that's how we used to preach these scriptures. We used to say the wife's job was to be at home, to raise the children and nurture and care. And the husband's job was to go out and earn the wage things like that that's not how the church works why should a marriage work that way children in the same way employees in the same way as an employer if you run a business do you care more about your needs or the needs of your employees because if you follow the, the example of the gospel you should care that your needs of your employee are met in your employee. If you purposely underpay, if you cheat their labor, if you cheat their hours, that is not living how the gospel says. If you don't care about their, their needs and things like that, you're not being the employer God called you to be. But likewise, if you're a Christian employee, do you care that your business is successful? Do you just go in and punch a clock and Whatever happens, happens. That's not the right attitude either. And so life's complicated. But if we can remember one secret that we find in here, God loves you. In light of the gospel that you have found that God loves you, guess what that means? This is how you apply the gospel to your life. If God loves you, you love others. That's how you know you're doing it right. Paul also says you know you're doing it right when you sing. Because that means the Spirit's in your life. If you're happy enough to sing, 
something's going well. Not just singing together in a group, but singing by yourself, singing in the shower where you hope nobody's listening to you. That means something's right in your spirit, that the spirit is living in you. God gathers us in particular. He teaches us how to live in relationship, and that relationship is love. And in light of the gospel, if you're trying to live out your faith, in every relationship you have, you should try to represent the gospel. That God is love. That God loves you. But when we start getting it right, here's the problem in our lives. We may start understanding that God loves me so much that in gratitude I can love others. That for what he did I can never repay, but I can love those that he has created. We can get that way. And we can start going on the right path and we can live in right relationships with our fellow brothers and sisters from employee positions to, to employer to all these different relationships that we find ourselves in throughout the course of our day. We can start getting there. But in chapter 6, God warns us, you got to put on the full armor of God because you will be under attack as Christians, as children of God. There is evil in this world, and they are out to stray you from the path that God has called on. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day, evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. We are warned that the evil days are upon us and that if we are going to survive, we have to be prepared. Because let me tell you a secret about God is love. When you actually hear that message for the first time, the evil one now puts his darts, his sights, right on you. It's okay if he doesn't change you to worship Satan do this demonic worship. He's okay with that. He would prefer it because he likes being worshipped. He even said, Jesus, if you just worship me, I'll give you all this earthly treasures. He's okay just to have you be angry at others so that the love of God will not show through you. He's okay with that. He's okay with bitterness and strife. He's okay with you to be wrapped in your old self with the temptations and the sin that you struggled with before. He's okay with that because that makes your life not a witness to others. He's okay with you being afraid to be secluded in your own home. He's okay with that because the power of the Christian faith is that he gave each and every one of you a mission to be part of the body to be the hands the feet the legs all of that but the devil is out to tell you you're not good enough all those blemishes that you have they're just going to keep you 
in the dark. You don't speak eloquently, so you don't need to say anything at all. So there's one thing I have found in the gospel. There's one thing I found in my own life personally. It doesn't matter if you have the best testimony. It doesn't matter if you have the best singing abilities. It doesn't matter if you are just gifted for public vocational ministry. It doesn't matter these things. It matters how you live, though. Because I guarantee you this. Every great evangelist who has brought in crowds of thousands, if he decides it's okay to pick up a prostitute on the road, guess what his ministry just happened? Take the nose dive. Because there's no trust there. So if those who we look as saints, if they fail and destroy the lives of thousands, look at the Catholic Church. And so it went through some dark times. It is still going through some times where it is struggling with these different allegations it faced. The number of Catholics are declining year after year. Are Baptists much different? No. We like to point at others. Why are we in decline? Is what we believe wrong? No. We believe in the Bible. We hold it at the center. We believe everyone should read it. We even donate money to Gideons and all this kind of stuff so Bibles can be purchased. That's one of the things that we give at our kids' campus to the students so that they may own an own copy of the Scriptures. We believe that the teachings in this book are valuable and they should guide us on how we should live. We believe it is the cradle in which holds Christ. So why are our numbers shrinking? It's because our people don't live by what they say. They may have the right answers. They may check off all the books. They may be in church week after week. And that may be the problem. You might not want to go be in the place with some of the people that are in our building. We may be the reason people aren't coming in. But if we can live into this gospel that Paul proclaims, if we can live a way that says God loves us, let's show others how we should love the world because of that. Things will change. Because in reality, it is not the words that we proclaim that speak the loudest. But it is how we live in light of the gospel that speaks so much louder. It is when we find peace in troubled times. And we find happiness in times of sorrow. And people wonder, how have they answered the question that I have longed for. When people who have searched social media and all these places and that they present themselves as this perfect person with all these great vacations and all these pictures and none of that actually filled who they really were, where do they find the answers? Is it in a meme? No. It is in a relationship. And you may be the one called into a relationship. But if your life doesn't say the gospel makes any difference for them, they will never hear the love of Christ. But if your life tells you, I love you because I am loved, because there is value in who I am, 
because God loved me even when I was an enemy, if we live a life that shows other people, they will hear the gospel so much louder than the words that are proclaimed. Because there's so much information out there, words can get muted in the noise. So if you truly want to be a witness for Jesus Christ, you can do as the Apostle Paul wrote in this letter. If you have found the love of Jesus in your life, live a life that proclaims the gospel. Please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the message of Scripture. We thank you for the words that you have given us. Lord, we pray, pray now, that you burden our soul, that you burden our hearts so that we may live the life that we were called to live. We were called by your grace through faith into a new covenant. Teach us how to take off our old selves and be clothed in a new life, a life that is empowered by the Spirit, and to live a life that when others see us, they question how we can live in such a way when the world seems dark and hopeless. And we can live that way because we know the truth. The truth that even as we were your enemy, you loved us enough to send your only son to die and give up his life as an atoning sacrifice for the way that we were. But through his death, he was raised, raised again so that we may be raised to a new life and a new covenant to be a people that were not a people to be unified yet diverse so that we may be your children, that we may be your kingdom, one in which your authority reigns supreme. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And now as we enter this time of invitation, if you have been struggling with your faith or have never yet accepted the grace of God, You may say to yourself that I've just done too many things. That God could never truly love me enough to save. Maybe you're thinking the only reason I'm here is because I want to put on a persona to the world that everything is all right. Maybe that's you. If you're willing to give your life to Christ today, please come forward and let us talk about it and pray. If you're burdened today and you're needing prayers to be lifted up, please come forward.